The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to the Money Answer Show with host Jordan Goodman. Whether you are starting out, deep into your retirement, or somewhere in between, the Money Answer Show has the know-how to help you. Now here's your host, Jordan Goodman. Welcome to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is John Wasik. He's a personal finance journalist, and he's just come out with a new book called The Debt-Free Degree, How to Eliminate College Debt at Every Step. Welcome to the show, John. Thanks for having me, Jordan. Let's just start with a little bit of your background and the kind of places you've written for and the kind of topics you cover in your writings. Well, gosh, you know, I write for Forbes. I have a blog called Bamboozlement about financial deception. Uh, The Debt-Free Degree is my 15th book. Uh, I also write for the New York Times, uh, Morningstar, and a few other places. Very good. So let's just start in with the overall, why is this necessary? I mean, we know there's a lot of student loan debt out there. Um, but is the problem getting better or worse as far as the amount of debt people are taking on? Well, it's clearly getting worse, and, and a lot of it has really spiked uh, since the uh, 2008 meltdown. Uh, there's some 40 million people currently holding student debt, which has the nasty distinction of being the highest uh, total consumer debt behind mortgages, uh, and it's growing by the day. Um, and there's, you know, it's a huge number. It's $1.3 trillion almost. Uh, so it's, it's really kind of this, this cauldron of problems because it, it's really uh, hurting people's ability to move ahead in this, in this society. So give me some of the numbers about the overall size of the problem. What is the average amount of debt people have? How long is it taking for them to pay it off? Just give me a sense of the size of the problem here. Well, it depends on on what group of students you're looking at. Um, the 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 number that's thrown around a lot is about twenty thousand dollars as an average, but it's much higher for graduate students. Uh, somebody who goes to a private school could be looking at six figures. Uh, somebody who's you know coming out of law school could be looking at two hundred thousand dollars. Same for medical school. Uh, so it varies depending on who you're you're looking at. Even uh, some community college uh, students are taking on debt, but it's usually uh, below ten thousand dollars. Is there a diff- diff- big difference between private school and public school as to the amount of debt people are taking on? Well, that's that's a real hard one to pin down because the private schools uh, do cost more. So you're looking at a range of like. $40,000 past $70,000 for all-in fees, uh, but they may be more generous. So it's, it's, it's hard to really say that, you know, they're going to get you into more debt. Depends on your situation, if you get financial aid, scholarships, loans, grants. Uh, so there's, it's, not, it's not easy to make a generalization there. Now, everybody always says, yes, you're in debt, but it's worth it to have a degree and it'll pay for itself many times over, and college graduates always earn more than non-college graduates. Is that changing with the amount of debt that people are getting into these days? 
Oh, it definitely is. As you know, Jordan, us journalists have been fed the line, you know, by the college board. Every year they crank out the same numbers. Somebody who gets a college degree uh, is going to earn more over a lifetime than somebody without. And I think in general that that is still true. Um, but, you know, you have to look at some changing situations that, that are not really reflected in, in that average. Uh, so you have a lot of people getting into debt. Uh, and getting degrees, but they're not getting jobs. So, um, and sometimes the jobs that they get are not paying them enough to cover the debt. So that's 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 a, becoming a difficult problem. When there's a lot of baby boomers who've gone back to school, who've gone to for-profit schools, and and just taken on loans to cover everything. So uh, they haven't gotten the jobs that they needed. Uh, and so that's it's there's a lot of nuance to that whole question. So do you think there are times when it does not make sense for somebody to go to college, and what would be that time? Well, you know, you have to say to yourself, where's the opportunity? If, if it's your employer saying, yeah, if you get a master's degree or an MBA, uh, I will give you a raise. In that case, it's probably worth it, even better if they pay for it. But there's a lot of situations where it's kind of iffy, where you see like, one of these for-profit schools saying, yeah, we can train you to become a, a technician in, in X or computer programming in Y. And it's not certified, it's not accredited, and you take that to the, the marketplace and they say, you oh, know, this, this really isn't worth that much and I don't know why you spent that kind of money. So you really have to draw the line at, at certain things that will not pay off. Um, you know, the traditional argument is like, well, if you go in the arts, get a liberal arts degree, uh, it's not worth it. But that's not always true because uh, some of that uh, education will allow you to have some sort of flexibility in the in the workplace. And, and then again, you might find an employer said, yeah, you went to good school, so you got a degree in French literature. We can train you to become a financial analyst. So it's it's very difficult to make a generalization about that. There's been a lot of accusations against the for-profit schools recently. Uh, the Obama administration has been going after them in all kinds of ways. One of them has even gone bankrupt, I think. What is your assessment of the for-profit schools as a way for people to get skills they need? I mean, are you, do you say they're all bad or there's some of them that are good? Or When people are evaluating that option, uh, what is your assessment of the for-profit colleges? Well, there's there's two layers here. One is that uh, because they usually saddle their students with federal loans, that means they don't have any skin in the game. They don't have any obligation to ensure that their graduates are going to move on and find a decent paying job. So that in itself is problematic uh, in, in a general sense. The other part of it is that, you know, yeah, you can find some good training through them, but you have to be extremely selective. You have to make sure that that training is is you're going to lead to something in terms of a job, in terms of an employer who will recognize it. Uh, and accreditation is, is a really big issue. Um, a lot of these for-profit uh, colleges are not accredited the same way, say, a, a community college or a state school would be. So it's, it's not the same kind of degree, and you really have to keep that in mind. So that's the first thing to look for is are they accredited? And if you're saying if they're not accredited, you should not go there. Is that what you're saying? Well, here's, here's where I have to kind of make another distinction. They may have an accreditation, but it may be from their own, um, you know, 
their own kind of accreditation. So, for example, in, in the Midwest and in some Eastern schools have North Central accreditation. Well, that's that's like the gold standard of accreditation. And, and they, you know, they, they actually go in, they make inspections, they see what's being offered, and it's, and it's a very rigorous process. Uh, there's a lot of accreditation bodies that, that don't do that, uh, and, and they're just kind of saying, well, yeah, we have accreditation. It's the, you know, the private whatever accreditation council, and it may not mean anything. So uh, the Department of Education actually has a whole section on accreditation. They kind of explain what that means and, you know, the, the better accreditation bodies. So that's, it's worth looking at before you even kind of get into this whole argument. So if you have a 17- or 18-year-old, maybe a decent student, he doesn't particularly know what he wants to do yet, what field he wants to go to, um, how do you help, uh, as a parent, make, help him make a correct decision on should he go to a four-year school, should he go to a community college, should he go to a for-profit college, that he doesn't really have a, a sense of what he wants to do yet. He's still exploring things. How do you kind of help him make the right uh, career move? Well, actually, this is kind of one of the easiest parts of the process that a lot of people ignore. First of all, you have to throw out the idea that you have to go to a four-year school. Nobody has to do this. In fact, there's, there's so much offered at community colleges and, and even commuter schools. The, the New York City uh, system is, is great and, and offers anything you could imagine. Uh, and, and, every, and, and in fact, every big city has, has a pretty good system of commuter colleges, uh, usually part of their city system. And if somebody doesn't know what they're going to do, there's, there's no better way to explore a wide range of things than to go to a community college. Uh, you know, and, and the cost is, is minuscule compared to a, a four-year public or private institution. Plus, you save you know, an extra ten grand a year minimum by not having to pay room and board. Um, so I, I would recommend to anybody whose child who is not really oriented towards a specific you know career or program to to try the community college route i mean it's they have to accept you um a lot of them even provide some uh, form of assistance if you need it uh and as an extra bonus if they're good students and they don't know what they want to do and that's fine uh they have honors programs and in many cases the tuition is free and then how about the whole world of online education, which seems to be growing very fast, where you can literally get the same lectures as in the halls at Stanford or MIT or any kind of prestigious place? Is that, what kind of role is that going to be playing going forward in people's college decisions? Well, I think it's going to be a huge disruptor, but the problem now is that um, a lot of these courses are offered, and it's a really good way to sample certain things. Uh, say if you did want to sample a technical subject or wanted to you know dip your feet into Egyptology or something like that, it's a good way. Uh, it's really a, a no cost way to just see what the subject's like. Uh, however, it's not a good way to really get the sort of legitimate you know coursework under your belt. Most of the people who sign up for these online courses drop out. Um, and I have to make another kind of distinction here. There's, there's two forms of this. There are the, the massive online courses, which are uh, called MOOCs, M-O-O-C-S, uh, which are you know, free lectures and, and things you can sign up anytime, anyplace, um, and attend from your house or you know, walk, using your laptop or anything. And then there's the distance learning programs, which are 
much different. These are the four credits, certified, accredited programs uh, that you would, you could take remotely, but you would have. In many cases, you have to have some sort of on-campus presence for a seminar or weekend. Um, and every college varies, but most big colleges offer these distance learning programs, so you don't have to be there for every class. It might be you know weekend a month or. Uh, you know, once in a semester, but those those are the more rigorous uh, kinds of courses where you get legitimate credit. Uh, the others really don't offer credit. They maybe you can get a certificate if you want to pay for it, but it's not the same thing. That would be like an executive MBA, where the people are working and they can't be there during the day, but they can be nights and weekends. That would be the distance learning that is legitimate, as you're saying. Is that correct? Well, actually, distance learning is is yet another level. The 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 night programs like the executive MBAs, those you have to go to class on a regular basis. The distance learning thing, uh, you're communicating with the class online mostly uh, and remotely for you know professors and sending in stuff. They they may or may not have uh, a residency requirement. Most of them do not. Very good. Well, we're going to take a break. This is Jordan Goodman of the Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is John Wasik. He's a personal finance journalist, and he's just come out with a new book called The Debt-Free Degree, How to Eliminate College Debt at Every Step. You can get it at Amazon, also at his website, which is johnwasik, W-A-S-I-K dot net. We'll be back after this. Always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog, Press Pass? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus, topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at VAPressPass.com. That's VAPressPass.com. VA Press Pass by Voice America. All access, all the time. Bob Pritchard has over 30 years of experience as a straight-talking business consultant and author working with some of the top Fortune 500 companies. Now he's come to the Voice America Business Channel to help you and your business. Tune in to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show for information about starting and successfully running a profitable business. From the movers and shakers to great marketing screw-ups, you can't afford to miss a single edition of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show, Tuesdays at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Business. Leadership is a vital skill set in today's competitive global economy. Being a leader is not enough. To succeed, you must optimize your performance and know how to imbue others in your organization with leadership skills. Practical, actionable leadership insights are the focus of Leadership Development News, hosted each Monday at 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern, by Kathy Greenberg and Relly Nadler on the Voice America Business Channel. Doctors Greenberg and Nadler, who coach global leaders on how to be most effective, will share their insights and contacts. The path to leadership excellence begins here. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. 
You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is John Wasik. He's a financial journalist and author of a new book called The Debt-Free Degree, How to Eliminate College Debt at Every Step. Uh, you can get it as an ebook online at Amazon. You can also get it from his website, which is johnwasik.net. Welcome back to the show, John. Well, thanks for having me back, Jordan. So let's talk about the ways you can avoid debt in the first place by saving uh, up front. So there's several different ways. One of them is the uh, Uniform Gifts to Minors, or UGMA account. What is the advantage and disadvantage of saving inside the child's name in an UGMA account? Well, the principal disadvantage is that when colleges are assessing uh, your family for financial aid, those assets uh, become available in the student's name. So they're assessed more heavily, meaning that they will, uh, you will have a reduced chance of getting aid because they'll say, oh, here's some money for college, and, and they don't need aid as much as you, know, you think they do. Um, so that that kind of hurts. Um, on the but other aid hand, aid is loans, right? Aid is loans. It's it's giving you the no, right to no. take on debt. All I mean, right, let's let's kind of well. draw the line. In in my definition of financial aid, uh, aid is uh, meaning non-loan aid, meaning grants, scholarships, tuition discounts, work study. It's it's really assistance that does not need to be paid back. Uh-huh. I mean every. College will say, yeah, yeah, we all give financial aid, but that means they're going to sell you with loans. The whole objective of what I was doing with the book and my research was to find out ways of to avoid loans at, at every step of the game. So UGMAs and UTMAs um, really put it in the student's name and kind of lessen your chances for getting non-loan aid. So therefore, are you saying people shouldn't do it? They should not say in their kid's name? Well, you know, in, in some circumstances, you'll have a grandparent or another relative set these things up and, you know, it may cover the cost of college and you may not need aid. But if, if you're kind of on the border where, you're, you know, you're not going to hack it, uh, you're not going to be able to pay all the bills and this is going to hurt you. So it's, it's kind of a push. I mean, if they're, they're funding it really nicely and, you know, you got enough to cover that private school of your dreams, then it's a good thing. If not, it, it can be detrimental. Then the next thing you talk about are state-only college tuition programs. What are the pros and cons of those? Well, you know, every state offers what they call a 529 savings plan uh, and a prepaid plan. So the prepaid plan will efficiently uh, lock you into the state's program, meaning that if you're going to the University of Michigan and you know you're going there, then you will prepay tuition, you'll save the money, and you will not be hit with any future tuition increases. So you're locking in today's tuition rate, which is a good thing considering that tuition has been going up an average of 6% a year or, you know, like, um, you know, almost more than 3% the rate of inflation now, and it's crazy. Uh, but that's only for families who really know, you know, Johnny's going to go to the U of M, and we're, we're going to, you know, we're invested in this university education, and that's it. Uh, for people who don't know, then, you know, a 529 plan in any state will help you save money for any college. So, you know, you could be in Alaska's plan, which is a pretty good one, uh, and you could go to the University of Delaware. It doesn't matter. It's just a savings vehicle. So the money you put in, 
uh, uh, accumulates tax deferred. Uh, you take it out, and you're not you don't pay taxes on it. You, of course, you pay taxes on the money you earn, but you know within it, it's a tax deferred or tax. As long as you use it for college education, it's Absolutely. not taxed when you take yeah, the money so, out. Right. So there's some caveats there. If if you pull the money out and uh, Johnny goes into an apartment off campus uh, that's not sanctioned housing, uh, then then you'll get taxed on that money. Uh, if if he wants a car to tool around campus, you'll get taxed on the money. So if it's books, tuition fees, um, you know, college-approved dorms, things like that, it's it's all tax-free. So on the prepaid plans, now there's some of them where uh, they've stopped the plans because it was the cost was going up much more, and the states couldn't make up the difference. What what is the state of these prepaid plans? Are there going to be more of them? Are they a good idea or not? If if you're going to stay in your state uh, for college. Well, it's problematic, and, and it largely depends on the state. So, say you got a fiscally healthy state like North Dakota, and you know you're going to go to a North Dakota college, then it's probably a good deal. Uh, if you're in a, a troubled state like mine, like Illinois, which is a fiscal train wreck, or California, which has got problems, uh, probably not, because they'll probably come back and say, you know, we can't really lock in tuition rates because we can't support our state schools, and there's all sorts of other things going on. So, you know, it would te- depend on the, the fiscal health of your state. So, so what's going to happen to the promises they've made? And uh, there's going to need to be a big uh, uh, legislature uh, uh, you know, funding these things. Uh, or what, what's going to happen when they've made these promises and, and the money's not there? Well, a couple things could happen. I mean, they could, they could come up short. They could say we're canceling the program. I mean, a legislature can do everything. But if they do change it, it's kind of a bad faith uh, sort of arrangement. And you yes. really don't want to get stuck in that. And they could get sued if they change the terms midstream. Now, of the 529 plans, every state has one. And they have different funds in them, different fees. Uh, are there some resources to compare them? And how do you find out what's the best one for you? You don't have to stick with just your own state plan. Oh, no. You can go to any state. Uh, what I tell people is to say, look, uh, look at your own state's plans, uh, state plans first. They might offer you a tax break. Several states uh, will chip in a few dollars um, if you're going to save in their plan or they give you an additional break um, off state income tax. I mean, it, it varies from state to state. A lot of states offer nothing. Um, and, and you have to look at that first because the tax advantage might be really you're, worth your you're while. You're going to get a state tax deduction, correct? Yeah. In, in your own state. Not a federal tax, a state tax. No, no. Right. no. There is really no federal tax. There is no t- federal tax deduction for putting money into a 529. Yeah. Uh, so you're taking that part out of it. What, you've probably looked at these 529 plans. Which are the, some of the states that you think offer some of the best deals as far as the investment options, the fees, and other things? Yeah, I did look at a few of these, and, and actually they were rated by Morningstar uh, literally last week. Uh, so the, the best-rated plans were in Alaska, Maryland, uh, and Nevada and Utah. And at least two of those, uh, I believe Nevada and Utah, were managed by Vanguard. Uh, and, the, and the principal reason why those were uh, better plans than other plans is that they were uh, what they call direct-sold plans, which means that you don't go through a broker or advisor to get uh, you know to invest your money. And my second recommendation, and this is almost universal, is do not go through a broker 
uh, to invest in a 529. They don't any, add any value and they'll take uh, a little bit of commission and the fees will be higher. So there's no, no need to do that. Just find a direct sold plan, one that's very reasonably priced and low internal costs, which means the mutual funds within the plan are, are very low, low cost. And, and Vanguard's good at that. T. Rowe Price uh, sponsors a few. I think there's an iShares plan out there. Um, but, you know, you, you have to look at cost. And then, you know, the third part of this is, like, don't try to outthink the market. Uh, get, in, get in one of these age-adjusted plans, which means that, you know, when you start out, say you're, you have a baby and you start investing, then they're going to be more aggressive in terms of investing in stocks. And then as your child gets closer to 18, they'll reduce the, the stock market risk so that you have a very low uh, chance of losing money. So you don't want to lose money when your kid's 17. So these um, are like target funds, the same idea that people have for retirement they have for these Exactly. Dollars. Very similar idea. They call them age-adjusted plans. And they're just preset portfolios. You don't have to think about them. They, they manage the funds for you, and you just kind of leave them alone for 18 years. And your last choice is to do a Roth IRA where you can take money out for college. How does that work? And, and is that a good idea as a place to invest? Well, you know, it is like the, on the bottom of the list uh, for alternatives. So generally, I would say, look, if you're going to save for retirement, save for retirement and, and don't ever pull money out of your retirement plan. But if you, you happen to come up short and you did oversave for retirement um, and you did have money in a Roth IRA, you can pull that money out tax-free uh, if you meet certain conditions. And, and that's, that's sort of a last you know, last ditch sort of effort to get money if you really need it. Um, you know, most financial planners would say, don't even do that. You know, um, you know, have the kid get a loan. But if you're dead set against loans, it's, it's an option. Do you see parents taking out loans against their 401ks uh, and uh, home equity loan lines and uh, insurance policies and all kinds of things in order to fund college? They do. I, I have never seen any research that has shown to what extent that they do it, but I, I know families have done it. Um, they've uh, refinanced their house and pulled pulled out some equity. Um, you know, I as a rule, I, I would tell people, look, don't. There's no need for you to get into debt, um, and it's just you know you're going to have to pay back this this money over time, and it certainly don't pull it out of a 401k because if you change jobs, you're on the hook for taxes for taking this money out. Uh, and it, it is just triggers a whole bunch of other things, and it's going to hurt your, your, yeah, your, nest, the your nest egg. The reality is that people can't borrow enough. Say they're going to a private school that's fifty or 60000 a year, and they're not getting that much in grants of some kind. The kid can do the max out on his loans. The parent plus can max out on their loans, and there's often not enough. They just aren't able to borrow, so that's where they go into uh, HELOCs and life insurance loans and 401k loans. You think that's just not a bad idea? What can people do in that circumstance if they just come up short? Well, I would say, look, if, if you're going to be in that kind of situation, you should really carefully assess the college that you're looking at. You should also consider telling um, your son or daughter that you know community college would be the right way to go. Um, and and just save money any way you can. It's just, I, I'm just so... Uh, so against getting into debt for not a really good reason. I mean, yeah, if you've got a kid who's a genius, who's, who's going to be in quantum physics and they're 17 years old, uh, maybe it would be worth it. But, but a lot of 17, 18-year-olds, 
they don't know what they're going to do, and you can't expect them to know what they, they know what their career is going to be. So, you know, why not err on the side of like, well, let them experiment at a community college level and not go into debt. So you have a whole section here on picking the right college to avoid debt. What are some of the ways you can do that? Well, a lot of this is counterintuitive. Um, you know, a lot of people will say, oh, I'm just going to look at the name, name brand colleges on the U.S. news list. Well, I say, forget that stuff. You might find a great regional liberal arts college. You might find a great state school that's not a name brand. I mean, this obsession with, you know, the the brand name quality of these schools is way overblown. And, and most kids cannot get into those schools. They take, you know, kids in the top 10% of their class, you know, the top, you know, tier of ACT, SAT scores, and they have their pick of the litter. Uh, then they have kids applying from all over the world to, to, who have these kind of qualifications. So look at schools that are perhaps less selective, um, Maybe they're not as well-known, but look at their endowments. How much money do they offer to kids? Um, and this is, this is all searchable now. Uh, the government has a website where you can search all this. You can find out how many students are getting scholarships, the percentage of aid offered, how many are, are, are in debt when they get out, how much debt they're getting into. Um, and, and, this, and the college has to tell you this anyway. So do your research before you even consider a school and get it. You know, you can have your dream school, and if your dream school has a really good endowment and you qualify for financial aid, it's a great deal. But otherwise, uh, maybe not. Very good. We're going to take a break. This is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is John Wasik. He's a financial journalist, and he just came out with a new book called The Debt-Free Degree, How to Eliminate College Debt at Every Step. You can get it at Amazon or at his website, which is johnwasik.net. We'll be back after this. Stocks, bonds, investment opportunities, financial news, and talk. We can help. Call us now toll-free, 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Capital Thinking takes you inside the worlds of policy, politics, law, and business. What happens in government, the legal arena, and the business world impacts your business every day. And we're going to take you on a behind-the-scenes tour of it all. Each week, we'll bring you unfiltered conversation with a variety of influential policymakers and leaders. Squire Patton Boggs will be your guide as Capital Thinking tours the halls of power. Join us for Capital Thinking on the Voice America Business Channel each Thursday at noon Eastern and 9 a.m. Pacific Time. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog, Press Pass? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at VAPressPass.com. That's VAPressPass.com. VA Press Pass by Voice America. All access, all the time. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. 
You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is John Wasik. He is the author of a new book called Debt-Free Degree, uh, How to Eliminate College Debt at Every Step. You can find out more about it at his website, johnwasik.net, spelled W-A-S-I-K. Welcome back to the show, John. Glad to be here. So you have a whole section on getting the best return on your college investment. How do you do that, and what are some of the colleges that offer the best ROI? Well, here's another concept that most parents don't really think about. You have to have some idea of where... Uh, your child is going to be 10, 20 years from now, uh, given the degree they're pursuing, given the school that they're going to, and given the amount of debt that they're getting into if they choose to do that. So there's, there's a kind of a wealth of, of statistics out there that, that give you some idea uh, based on schools and, and degree programs. Um, there's an outfit called PayScale, uh, which does what they call a return on investment for colleges. So what they do is they look at a list of colleges and they, they calculate where their graduates are 20 years from now. Um, and and they, they, they really show you, uh, based on what they charge, based on how much debt the kids are getting into, um, you know, the, the various levels of success. So the highest return on investment uh, would be somebody earning, you know, 100000 plus. Um, you know, 20 years after getting a degree from a certain institution. So what's really counterintuitive is that a lot of these schools on their list um, are not well-known. They're not well-known at all. In fact, you would probably be hard-pressed to name them uh, or where they are. Uh, So it's it's very interesting to look at this list. So if if you go to Payscale... It's called the College ROI Report, so Return on Investment. And on the top of the list is not Harvard, Princeton, or Yale, um, but Harvey Mudd College, which is a private engineering school in California. Um, and they have you know, a very good graduation rate, more than 90% graduate in four years, which is great. Average loan amount, $21,000, which is very low. Uh, and their, their net return on investment, and this is what uh, people are, are earning after 20 years, this is about a million dollars, which is great. Uh, so, you know, you go down the list, and there's a lot of very obscure schools here, the Colorado School of Mines, uh, Stevens Institute of Technology in beautiful Hoboken, New Jersey, uh, Babson College, and some very familiar names, Stanford, MIT, uh, Princeton, and colleges like that. But the, the whole idea here is to, to ask this question, in terms of somebody who's investing in college. So you want to know if you're going to spend this money on an education uh, and this degree program, uh, how much can you expect to earn based on, on what people have done in these other colleges? And, and this is just you know a rule of thumb, um, and it gives you an idea of, of places to start to look at that maybe you wouldn't consider. So college return on investment, it's, it's a kind of a new concept, but uh, certainly a great tool uh, in picking a college. Now, as I understand, the Department of Education at the federal level is trying something like this, and the colleges have been resisting it, to say, give people numbers on what kind of uh, returns or jobs, what paying what they can expect when they get out. 
The colleges have been resisting this like crazy, saying it's going to ruin the whole liberal arts. What is your view on that whole debate? Well, here's here's the way to, to look at this. So there's uh, a part, Department of Education has this branch called the National Center for Education Statistics, and they crunched all these numbers, and they, they pretty much did this kind of uh, huge database, and you can search this online. Um, and, and you could find out, you know, what are students from any given college in this database earning, you know, in the future, how much debt are they taking on, how much uh, aid are they given. And it's important to know. So you, you can see which schools are, 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 are more generous than others. You can see schools where people are getting into a lot of debt and not earning a lot of money. And, you know, you can't take these in absolute terms. I mean, uh, sure, you're going to make more probably with a STEM degree uh, you know, doing computer programming. But that won't always be the case. And that's not to say that a liberal arts major won't earn that kind of money doing something and then changing whatever it is they're doing in the workplace. So you can't look at the, these things in absolute terms. You have to say, look, where is somebody going to get the best education, uh, the best bang for their buck? And I think that's, that's a legitimate question. Not everybody's going to be a technology person. I mean, no. some people are just not going to be computer programmers. That's just not the right thing for them. So you can't ex- assume that's where everybody should go, kind of. All right, let, let's go to the next topic here, which is the, the FAFSA form. Now, this is the form that parents have to fill out. Uh, what are some tips on filling out the FAFSA? Because it's a very intimidating form for most people. There's a whole world of consultants who help people figure this thing out. What, how can you help people figure that out, how to fill out the FAFSA? Yeah, I was really wringing my hands over this because I had to fill it out uh, for my daughter going into college um, a couple of months ago. And, and it's really, it's sort of like dreading going to the dentist. The, the thought of getting your teeth drilled or something going on is worse than the actual thing. So really, all FAFSA is is a way of telling schools, this is how much money you have for college. And if you're honest on it, uh, you put in your income, you put in your assets. And keep in mind, they don't care how much you have in your retirement fund. They don't really care how many cars you have. They just want to know how much disposable income you would have for college. And they're not assuming that you know, you're going to spend uh, 50% of your income on, on college tuition. That, that's not part of the formula. They want to know how much is in your children's names for college. They want to know how much in their 529 plan. And, and it's just a rule of thumb. So uh, you'll, you'll fill out the FAFSA, you put in your income information, you can download your IRS uh, forms right into the system. It's not hard to do. Uh, what will it turn up? It's a very interesting number called the uh, estimated family contribution, which is what uh, the government thinks and this formula says you can contribute to college. You know, when I did it, I looked at it and said, wow. You know, this is a government thing, but I this is pretty fair. I mean, I I think we can contribute this much to my daughter's education uh, based on the amount of money we have and the amount of money we're making. Of course, it's not like everything else in college financial aid. It's not the final word on it. You can go to a college and say, look, we have some extenuating circumstances, um, getting divorced. You know, there's a single parent. You know, there's there's all sorts of things that you should say to yourself. Look, it's just a number. It's not the final number. It's not the best offer for aid. It's just a number, but it's, it's kind of a good thumbnail. So when you get into colleges, you have a whole section in your book on how to get the best deal from either a public college, if you're in-state or out-of-state. What are some of the general tips 
on negotiating to get the best deal once you've been accepted or your kid's been accepted? Well, the first thing you got to keep in mind is that if you have a good student, they're going to get the best offer. Um, and, and this is all really in how you prepare uh, your student for college. Uh, colleges, the best colleges with the most money uh, and, and the greatest chances for aid are presented to students who are very well-rounded. That means they usually should have a good GPA, a very high class rank, um, a good ACT score, SAT, uh, well-written essays, good interviews, good co- college campus visits, and you know a good you know high school re- resume, meaning that they've did they've done a bunch of different things. Um, they're not just in clubs, but they're leading clubs. They're starting things. They're doing community initiatives. They're involved in in you know the the larger questions and issues of the world. So that's what what they really want to see. Uh, and if you have a good student and you can prepare them and they do well in the test, then a lot of offers will come your way. Now then, uh, so that's kind of negotiating the deal. Now on the federal side, what do you do, need to do to pick the right federal loan? Well, your your first, you know, and probably best bet is to go with a Stafford loan. They're they're the subsidized loans. They have the best rates. Um, and then you kind of move up the ladder, the un- unsubsidized uh, and then if you, you max out on those, you go to the plus loans, which are for parents. Um, I, I don't like to tell parents to get themselves into debt for this. So, you know, if there's any way you can reduce the aid uh, or actually increase the aid and reduce the loans, uh, you'll be much better off. You have a section on do's and don'ts for managing loans and cutting costs. What are some things people can do to manage loans and, and not take on as much debt when they're at that stage? Well, first of all, don't ever get into a situation where you, where you default. Once you get into default mode, uh, then the collectors will come after you and your life becomes difficult. Your credit rating gets besmirched, and, and it's not a good situation. Try to keep current. And, and keep in mind that with federal loans, there's a whole lot of options you can get into uh, in terms of repayment plans. You can pay as you earn. Uh, as your, if your salary goes up, you can pay more. Um, you can defer the loan for a while. Uh, you can also, you know, have your loan forgiven if you're in public service after 10 years. So, you know, this is a difficult thing for most people to understand, but know it going in, knowing that you have different repayment options, that if you don't get the job that's going to pay off your loan, you know, you have some options to get lower payments. You just have to understand that. And the Department of Education has all the information on its website. You just have to be patient. Now, it is true that you cannot discharge student loans in bankruptcy. Is that correct? So that's kind of hanging over people. They can't ever get rid of these student loans, even if they default on them. What kind of impact does that have on people if they're not earning much and they have to default and become delinquent on their student loans? Well, again, this this is something where you can get out of a loan if you can prove to a court of law or a bankruptcy court that you're unable to pay back the loan. And then this, this happens uh, in very rare cases. You have to find a lawyer who knows how to argue your case and find a, a, you know, a sympathetic bankruptcy judge. Uh, but those, those cases, there's, they're in the hundreds. I mean, it's, it hasn't happened a lot, and it probably happens very rarely. Uh, but it's, it's not correct to say that you can never discharge a loan. Um, it's very, very difficult to discharge a federal loan if you can't prove, you know, that you're you're unable to pay and you're physically disabled. So that's that's like a very, very last ditch option. 
So just keep in mind that you know you don't need to default because there's so many options on the federal side. If you have private loans, uh, you always have the option of refinancing the loan and getting getting a lower payment. There's several outfits that will do this for you. Uh, one's called SoFi. There's another one called My Student Hero. Just just kind of Google refinancing private student loans. You'll get a lot of these different services, and and you'll get a lower rate. You can consolidate. Uh, and, and it'll be much more affordable. So just don't panic when it comes to this whole question. Know that you have some options. How, you have a section on how to deal with loan servicing companies to get a break. The, these loan servicing companies can be, don't have a particularly good reputation, I would say, as being pretty brutal going after people when they're behind. How can you deal well with these loan servicing companies? Well, there's a couple things. One, you need to be persistent. You have to know exactly what you want. Uh, look up the federal loan repayment options on the Department of Education. Uh, and, and they are obligated to get you into different repayment plans. Now, they've had a miserable record of customer service. Um, and the Department of Education pays them a lot of money to do this. And they're just not doing a good job. There's just no quality control uh, that's, that's really done right. Uh, so if you do have a problem, first address it with them. Keep on it. You know, um, keep your paperwork together. Get, you know, have an organized file. That's really important. And also know that you have a, a means to complain about them too. Uh, there's the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. Um, they have a special section where you can file a complaint uh, and they will follow up on it. Very good. We're going to take a break. This is Jordan Goodman of the Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is John Wasik. Uh, he is the personal financial journalist, and he's also the author of a new book called The Debt-Free Degree, How to Eliminate College Debt at Every Step. You can get it either at Amazon or at his website, johnwasik.net. We'll be back after this. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. We hear it and read about it every day in the news. America is heading over a fiscal cliff. Home prices are still receding and unemployment growing. How can you preserve and increase your wealth in this kind of economy? Tune in to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with host Jay Taylor. Jay will explain the decline of our monetary system and the economy and will give you winning investment ideas and the tools to protect and increase your wealth. Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor can be heard Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. What if every day was a good day for business? Because every decision you made was the best choice. What if you could receive regular input from credible sources and could acquire all the precise information you need exactly when you need it so you can make the right decision every single time? Because There's More challenges you to make better decisions. Join Laura Ellis every Monday at 9 a.m. Eastern, 6 a.m. Pacific, and 2 p.m. GMT on the Voice America Business Channel and learn how to think differently for better decisions, better business. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. 
Welcome back to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour, John Wasik, is the author of The Debt-Free Degree, How to Eliminate College Debt at Every Step. Welcome back to the show, John. My pleasure. So you have a whole section on private loans. So if you've maxed out on the federal loans, what are some things to look out for in getting good private loans? Well, you always have to have a good credit rating to get the best rate. And then that's what the private lenders are looking for. So you have to take a look at your, your credit report, make sure that it's correct, make sure that you don't have any outstanding debts that are going to lower your rating. Um, so they, they, they have an entirely different criteria by which to judge you. But generally, the best rates go to those with the best credit ratings. Now, this is to the kids or this is to the parents? Because the kids at 18 aren't going to have much of a credit rating. Well, uh, parents mostly. I mean, if, if a kids have a credit rating, um, you know, that, that's important. But a lot of parents co-sign these loans, so that's what they look at. So what, what kind of institutions give the best private loans? Are they just straight banks or are there institutions specializing in these things? No, they're, they're generally the, the big, big banks, you know, Wells Fargo, City. Um, they're, they're, they, that whole business has sort of declined after 2008. They've kind of been gradually scaling down that business, but uh, they're still making loans. So in addition to the big banks, are there other places, credit unions or crowdfunding? Are there other kind of innovative ways of getting private loans? You know, I've seen crowdfunding campaigns for college uh, education, but I don't know how many people are doing that. And I can't imagine it's really easy to to raise, you know, six figures through crowdfunding. So I don't know how successful that's been. Okay. Uh, Now, there's a whole world of debt relief firm swindlers, as you say out there. What are these people offering and what are some telltale signs that they're not something you want to be dealing with? So let's say you enter in like student loan relief uh, in in a Google search or something like that, uh, and you'll see all these different things pop up. They'll say Obama forgiveness program or you know get rid of your student debts. These these are scams because they'll charge you money to get you into a federal uh, consolidation program, and and it's free if you just go right through the Department of Education. Uh, it won't cost you anything, but they will charge you money to do this, um, and and won't offer you any counseling. They cannot forgive your loans. They cannot change your loan status. They cannot do anything to the servicer. I mean, they have absolutely no power, but they will take your money. So you're saying it, you should never use them? It's, you can totally figure this out yourself at yeah, the Department of Education? Yeah, completely avoid them. You know, you'll see a hit for the Department of Education. It's like uh, federalstudentloans.gov or something like that. Uh, whatever the Department of Education says, and there's several of them, uh, go to that one. And, and it's, it's not terribly user-friendly, but you'll get pretty much everything you need that way. I think the, the website is studentloans.gov. That's the Department of yeah, Education. Yeah, but there's, there's a couple others, too. So, so what are some of the promises that these swindlers have been offering to people, and, and what kind of fees do they charge? You know, what's the, the level of criminality going on here? Well, um, there's been uh, seven suits against them. Um, I think there was another one filed last week or maybe another two. So there's about almost ten of these suits out there. There's no federal regulation of these firms at all. So they're free to advertise. They're free to do whatever they're going to do. Department of Education hasn't set any regulations on them. They don't police them. So, for example, here's, a, here's one of my favorites. You'll see an ad- advertising um, online hit for 
Obama loan forgiveness program. It was like, there is no Obama loan forgiveness program. What they're referring to is there is a loan forgiveness program if you are in public service, like a first responder or teacher, but you have to be paying in the loan. And after 10 years, you can have your loan forgiven if you're, you know, there's a lot of other um, requirements to it. But they are not offering it. It doesn't exist the way they say it is. And they'll charge you money up to $1,000, um, you know, to funnel you into the federal program. These are the so-called income-based repayment programs, the IBR, which are legitimate, but you're saying you don't need these firms to get you into it. Absolutely not. Just just avoid them. Yeah. All right, you end with a summary of the 10 ways to avoid loan problems down the road. Let's see if we can get through them quickly. Uh, the first one is to save early and often. Uh, so h- how does that work? Well, um, you know, if you're having children, start a 529 and keep funding it. Um, and you, keep in mind, you can have your entire family fund college, you know, for college gifts, bar mitzvahs, you know, uh, birthdays, things like that. Have them put the money into the plan uh, and it'll accumulate and it'll grow over time and, and just do it early. The next one is to be the best all-around student you can be. We talked about that a little bit, but what are the advantages of having a really well-rounded student with good scores? Well, the best students are going to get the best deals. They're going to get the best offers from the best schools. So that's pretty simple. You know, take challenging courses in high school, take advanced placement courses, uh, keep your grades up, uh, be involved in the community, write good essays. All this stuff is important. Then you say to choose colleges that uh, combine a high return on investment and high available non-load aid. So how does that work? Well, research the schools carefully. See how much non-loan aid they are typically offering to students, how many people are leaving uh, those colleges with debt, uh, graduation rates. You know, if you know, average graduation uh, time is six years, it's not a good sign. You know, if they're in a 90% plus range for graduation within four years, that's a good sign. Um, and, and just look at how much they're offering to, to the average student. And you said a holdout for your best aid offer. So you really need to be a good negotiator to have one college off against another to get the best deal. Is that right? Not a great negotiator. I mean, you'll uh, a lot of students take the Common App and they'll apply to a lot of different schools. They'll get a lot of initial offers. Just keep in mind that that first offer is not going to be the last one. You can come back to the college of your choice and say, hey, College X is interested. You know, we need a little bit of aid on this side. Get rid of the loans. Give us some more grants, maybe a scholarship discount. There's a lot of stuff that is never, never talked about in, in, in this whole application process, but you have to ask for it. You say to seek alternate forms of financing. What are some ideas you have there? Well, you can, you know, have families give you money. Uh, grandparents can help. Um, you can get loans from um, other sources. Um, you know, you can always look at alternative sources, like you mentioned crowdfunding before. That's an idea. Um, you can also look to the community. There's a whole bunch of scholarships available locally. And on the state level, you go to a site called FinAid. Org and you'll find, you know, there's a whole search engine. There's, there's money available everywhere. How about scholarship search services? Do you think those can be helpful? Yes. I, you know, I would do it. I mean, we were surprised uh, when my daughter applied for scholarships how much local money was available. I mean, there weren't huge scholarships, but it, it does add up. And if you apply for them, you have a good essay. Sometimes all you have to do is, is write something and, and you're awarded it. So in about a minute or so we have left, why don't you kind of sum up the whole situation, what difference it can make if you take the tips you've given on not having a huge debt burden when you get out of college? 
Well, just reorient your thinking. First of all, you don't really need to do a residential setting. So uh, if you can avoid the room and board by looking at commuter or community colleges, that, that could save you, you know, at least $20,000 right there. Uh, another thing is to kind of look off the radar at different schools that, that you may not have thought about uh, but may have good endowments. Always, always look at what a college is offering um, and, and do your research. There's any number of college databases out there uh, that you should check out. And, and, you know, cast a wide net. That's probably the best advice. Very good. Well, thanks so much. My guest this hour has been John Wasik. His new book is called The Debt-Free Degree, How to Eliminate College Debt at Every Step. You can get it as an ebook at uh, Amazon or the Apple Store and also at his website, which is johnwasik.net, spelled W-A-S-I-K. Thanks so much for being a guest on The Money Answer Show, John. My pleasure, Jordan. Thanks again, and we'll be back with another edition of The Money Answer Show next week. Goodbye for now. Thank you for joining Jordan Goodman and the Money Answer Show. If you have a question for Jordan, please visit his website at www.moneyanswers.com. And be sure to tune in every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time right here on Voice America Business. See you next week.